Value Proposition for Gold by Thorsten Polleit, 16th of March 2020. There are six points I would like to speak about in this podcast. Point number one, gold is perfect money. People want and need gold for all kinds of reasons, industrial applications, jewelry, investments, and yes, even for monetary purposes. As malleable as this precious metal may be, the bottom line is that gold really is money. In fact, it's the ultimate means of payment. Former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan summed it up best when he said in October 2014, quote, gold is a currency. It is still by all evidence a premier currency. No fiat currency, including including the dollar, can match it. Vote ends. History bears this out. Money has taken on many guises over the centuries, but precious metals have always been the preferred format, gold and silver especially. And for very good reason. Money, the medium of exchange, has to have certain physical properties. It must be scarce, homogeneous, durable, mintable, divisible, portable, and it has to be intrinsically valuable. That's why we still say that something immensely valuable is worth its weight in gold. Pardon the pun, but gold and silver fit the bill. Their high value per unit of weight is undeniable, and they are supremely money-like in all other respects. It is no wonder that they have been markets players' go-to choice of money. Point number two. Gold was replaced by fiat money for political rather than economic reasons. What you may ask is fiat money. Well, the US dollar, the euro, the Chinese renminbi, the Japanese yen and the Swiss franc are all fiat monies. All fiat monies have three things in common. For one, the state or its agent, the central bank, has the monopoly on its production. For the other, fiat money is produced by way of bank credit expansion. In other words, it is literally created out of thin air. And finally, Finally, fiat money has no inherent use value. It is just brightly colored paper and intangible bits and bytes that can be produced at any time and in any amount deemed politically expedient. Governments want to exert total control over the quantity of money so they can manipulate its buying power to suit their political ends. Gold stands in the way of such machinations, so it had to go. Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises had something interesting to say about this, and I quote, The gold standard makes the determination of money's purchasing power independent of the changing ambitions and doctrines of political parties and pressure groups. This is not a defect of the gold standard. It is its main excellence. Quote ends. As you can gather, gold was indeed replaced by fiat money for political rather than for economic reasons. Point number three. Fiat money causes trouble on a grand scale. Fiat money is inflationary. Its buying power dwindles over time and history has shown that this entropy is almost as irreversible as gravity. Fiat money enriches a select few at the expense of many others. The first to get new money benefit to the detriment of latecomers. What's more, fiat money fosters speculative bubbles, overconsumption and capital misallocation that culminate in crises. This is why economies boom and bust. Fiat money lures consumers and firms into the pitfall trap of excessive debt. Sooner or later, borrowers find themselves in a deep hole with no way out. Fiat money is easy to come by, so the state can finance its adventures and misadventures. Easy money, easy come, easy go. And the government keeps growing as it keeps spending. As the state expands and flourishes like weeds in an untended garden, this outgrowth strangles the free market economy, causing production and employment to decline. 
Now that we know what the problem is, let's see what this bodes for our financial future. And this brings me to point number four. Low interest rates are here to stay. Interest rates in many currency areas are at record lows. Central banks have slashed short-term rates to zero and even lower, thereby dragging down longer-term bond yields. They did this for a reason, and this reason is why low interest rates are probably here to stay. Fiat money is to blame for this. Central banks have no choice but to keep pushing down interest rates if they want to pump up fiat money to keep the whole system afloat. Otherwise, the phony boom contrived by credit expansion and borrowing at unnatural low interest rates will come crashing down. Central banks certainly mean business when it comes to propping up the fiat money system, as the latest series of financial and economic crises show. Central banks bailed out the banking industry by knocking interest rates down to record lows and printing up vast quantities of fiat money, a policy they call quantitative easing. Most importantly though, central banks succeeded in mitigating market players' concerns about loan defaults. And so the floodgates opened, credit started flowing again, and the flatlining fiat money system was reanimated. Hammering down interest rates until they hit rock bottom is easy, but economic and political constraints make it rather difficult to haul them back up again. Point number five. Central banks will take harsh measures to prevent the fiat money system from collapsing. Central banks can be expected to go all out in their rescue efforts to keep the fiat money system afloat. Take, for instance, the European Central Bank, ECB. It suppresses market interest rates and prints up new money to prevent overstretched banks and states from defaulting on their payments. Needless to say, the ECB's QE does not bode well for the euro's internal and external buying power. So would the ECB be willing to pull out all the stops if necessary? It certainly seems so. Even helicopter money looks to be hoovering around as an option. These days, the idea that a central bank would issue new money and hand it out to someone or other consumers, firms, banks or states no longer seems so preposterous. You may be asking yourself about the logistics of it. How on earth do you disperse all this cash? Well, there are several ways to circulate helicopter money. The first that comes to mind is to drop freshly printed banknotes from helicopters, which explains the term's origins. Another crowd-pleasing alternative would be to strike a deal with, say, McDonald's to wrap hamburgers in 20 euro bills and sell them at 2 euros each. In an effort to prop up the worldwide fiat money system, major central banks have taken recourse to liquidity swap agreements. This is a reciprocal deal where central banks lend money to each other in practically unlimited amounts if need be. Here's how it works. Let's say the Federal Reserve provides the European Central Bank with a $100 deposit. The Fed then enters that amount in the right column of its balance sheet and the ECB enters the $100 deposit on the left column of its balance sheet. To balance the book, the ECB grants the Fed a euro deposit recorded on the right-hand side of the ECB balance sheet, while the Fed shows the euro deposit on the left of its balance sheet. And with that, the ECB can now lend US dollars to euro banks in need. In October 2013, the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of England, the Bank of Canada and the Swiss National Bank made their liquidity swap agreements permanent and the People's Bank of China got in on the action rather eagerly by signing up for further liquidity swap agreements. These agreements have serious ramifications. 
Central banks are now in a position to fend off any credit default in the international banking or financial system if this is deemed politically desirable. Perhaps most important, with this move central banks have orchestrated an alliance in which they can cooperate and coordinate closely amongst themselves, thereby paving the way towards a single world monetary policy. Need I point out that this would open a can of worms the likes of which the world has never seen? Savers and investors would have good reason to fear the dictates of a global inflation policy from which there is neither refuge nor escape. Conclusion. We live in a world ruled by fiat money. That means investors have no choice but to grin and bear both booms and busts. The great American economist Murray Rothbard had a refreshingly vivid simile for the juice that keeps this tired old nag in the running. Quote, like the repeated doping of a horse, the boom is kept on its way and ahead of its inevitable comeuppance by repeated and accelerating doses of the stimulant of bank credit. It is only when bank credit expansion must finally stop or sharply slow down that retribution finally catches up with the boom. The longer the boom is kept going, the greater the mal-investments that must be liquidated and the more harrowing the readjustments that must be made." Quote ends. Sound economic theory tells us that at some point something terrible is going to happen to fiat money, but we do not know when. As long as central banks continue with their fiat money scheme, the savvy investor has good reason to keep gold as part of his liquid means because the purchasing power of gold cannot be debased by central banks printing up ever greater amounts of fiat money. And unlike bank deposits, gold does not carry a payment default risk. As Mr. Greenspan so pointedly put it a couple of years ago, quote, gold still represents the ultimate form of payment in this world. Fiat money Money in extremis is accepted by nobody. Gold is always accepted. Quote ends. So let me conclude with a value proposition for gold by saying that in today's overstretched fiat money world, gold is most likely to turn out risk-reducing and return-enhancing for the investor portfolio. Thank you very much for your attention. Mm -hmm.